Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 2. It's the end of the year, so we're going to the end of the book. Praise the Lord. Revelation chapter 2. I want to talk to you on the subject today, are we there yet? In fact, why don't we just say that together? Are we there yet? Say it. That just brings back memories for those of you with children on long trips, doesn't it? So as we reach the end of 2018, I look back over this past year, and I'm so thankful. So thankful for God's faithfulness to us. Hasn't God been faithful to us this year? I'm thankful for the people that God's placed in my life this year. I'll look at how far I've come personally with my health. This time last year, I was facing uh, surgery to remove a cancer and remove my kidney. And so I'm very thankful to look at where I am a year later. I look at how far we've come as a church, and I'm very thankful for God's faithfulness and guidance for us. Can we just take a minute and just celebrate a few things that God's done for us in this past year? First of all, the, the, one of the big things for this year is the property, 15 and a half acres that we purchased, that we've been praying for for 17 years, and God supplied it. And so that's been a big win. Can we give God praise for that? Amen. Another great win that we had this year, we added a staff member. We have now have a youth pastor on staff and Daniel Lee, so we praise God for him. <coughs> we sent another family onto the mission field with the, when the Carols went to Romania to join the Goggins family. And we watched as our connect groups have gotten established and are beginning to thrive, and now we're seeing some outreach come out of our connect groups, so good things are happening there. Let's give God praise for that. And so it's just exciting to see how God is just laying some foundational things for us in 2018 so that in 2019 we can see God do some even greater things. So it makes me think of taking that long trip as a child and thinking surely we must be almost there. And so I want to ask, well, are we there yet? Look how far we've come. Look how far the journey has taken us. So surely we're almost there, right? And yet, as I look ahead, I realize we still have a long way to go. And so, in reflecting on that, it can be discouraging to think, well, we still have a long way to go. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay to still have a long way to go. Because in following Christ, whether it's as an individual or as a family or as a church, the journey is just as important as the destination. The journey matters. And so rather than just being focused on the destination, we need to take time to enjoy the journey. Take time to recognize what God is doing in us as we are on the journey together. And so in moments like this, as we take stock of this year and as we start a new one, it's wise to come up for air for just a moment. And sometimes check to make sure we're still on the right path. Don't you agree? And so with that in mind, I want us to read in Revelation chapter 2. This is a letter that is written by the Apostle John to a number of churches. And it's apocalyptic literature. It's it's a, a specific genre of literature. Very symbolic for the most part. 
gives us some pictures of what will happen at the end of the age. But more importantly, it gives us a glimpse of, to what, of what's going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm in the day in which John is writing. And so it's interesting how when this is addressed to this church in Ephesus, he addresses it to the angel in the church at Ephesus. Now, some people have tried to suggest that this is talking about a, a, an angelic being that has an assignment over a church, but actually, most scholars believe this is actually written to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And because it's apocalyptic literature, John is, is showing the spiritual side of this. The word angel in the Greek literally means messenger. So he's talking to the one who is to bring the message of God to the church. The one who, from a spiritual perspective, is bringing the Word of God from, from heaven to the physical reality in which the church lives. And so understand this, that no matter what you see happening in a church setting, there is something in the spirit realm behind it that is, that is going on that we can't always see. And so understand this, that whatever God wants to do among us, it begins in the spirit. It does not begin in the flesh. And so as, as God is speaking, as Jesus is speaking to the church at Ephesus here in Revelation chapter 2, he is calling them back to a spiritual reality. Understand this, that everything God wants to do at New Life Assembly of God is going to begin in the realm of the Spirit. It is going to begin by calling out to God and, 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 and getting our spirits into alignment with what, what God wants to do in our church. Can I get an amen? amen? So, as he writes to the angel at the church at Ephesus, he says this, verse 1 of chapter 2. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. So far, so good. Yet I hold this against you, verse 4. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give him the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So let's look at this. He says, well, he recognizes the church for a lot of good things. I mean, this is a good church. Their deeds, he says, it's what they've accomplished. Look at all their hard work and what they have accomplished for the kingdom of God. Their hard work, how much they have served, how much they are active in serving one another and serving the city around them. And their perseverance, how they stuck to it when things got difficult. They've also stood up for righteousness. They called out false apostles and Refused to give up in times of opposition. So they persevered and hung. They clung to the truth very closely. Wow, this sounds like a powerful church, doesn't it? 
I mean, this sounds like the kind of church you want to be a part of. A church that, like that, might even have, be tempted to think, wow, we've arrived. In fact, I just sort of picture as the pastor is reading this letter from John, in, in the New Testament letters were, were circulated among churches and read publicly. And so I just imagine the pastor in Ephesus reading this and some of the guys in, in the church at Ephesus probably just sort of ribbed each other and elbowed each other and smiled and was like, yeah, see that? <laughs> we're doing good. All right, you know? And just that little puffing up a little bit, like, look at how good we're doing. So imagine their shock when he reads the next words. Yet, I hold this against you. What? Wait, hang on. Hang on. God, we're doing all the right stuff. I mean, we're, 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 we're standing up for righteousness and we're working hard and we haven't given up. I mean, what could you possibly have against us? And God says, you have forsaken the love you had it first. Boy, that's chilling. They're, they're, they're active. They're busy. They're, they've got all this activity going on. And Jesus says, you have drifted away. You have walked away. You have neglected the love you had at first. And reading this, it's it, it stood out to me, this truth. We can focus so much on what is right that we lose sight of what matters most. Can I say that again? We can focus so much on what is right that we lose sight of what matters most. Now, what could possibly be more important than working hard and enduring and serving and standing for righteousness? What could possibly be more important than that? Love. Very simply, love. This is what Jesus is calling them back to. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Love for whom? Who, what's he talking about? Now, when we preach this, when I've heard this preached growing up, I've usually heard it preached this way, that you, have, you don't love Jesus as much as you did when you first got saved, so you need to go back to loving him like you did when you were a baby Christian. And this, this way of you know, sort of tearing us down and saying, see, you're not committed enough, you're not devoted enough, you don't love Jesus enough. It's just that, that way of just digging us down, just you know, reminding us of just what wretched worms we are, right? That's how it's usually preached. But actually, the Greek construction of this verse makes it unclear what the object of the love is. It's actually not clear if John is talking about his love, the church's love for God or if it's the church's love for one another. In fact, Gordon Fee suggests that the Holy Spirit left it vague purposefully. Because throughout Scripture, the love for God is so intertwined with love for one another that you cannot separate the two. And so, in fact, the, the New Living Translation renders it this way in verse 4. Look at it again. 
says, you, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And so, so perhaps when it's talking about love here, it's talking about love for heaven and earth, for God and humanity, for, for us toward him and us toward one another. But God, we're well-behaved. We don't hang around bad people, God. We point out others who are doing sinful things, God. Shouldn't we stand for righteousness, God? Well, yes, of course we should. But if that is all we do, if all we do is stand for righteousness, we're no better than the Pharisees who hung Jesus on the cross. So it's more than just taking a stand and working hard. At the root of it all must be love. Twice in Matthew's gospel, in chapters 9 and in, chapters 11, in chapter 11, Jesus quotes a verse from Hosea. In chapter 9, Jesus is being criticized for attending a dinner party with sinful people. He's just invited Matthew to be his follower. Matthew's a tax collector. Think of a crooked IRS agent. you got a good picture of Matthew. Okay, And Jesus invites him to come follow him and be his disciple. And so... <clears throat> So Matthew then invites Jesus to a party with his friends. Now, if you've got a crooked IRS agent, what kind of friends is he going to be hanging out with? Right? It's going to be a bunch of sinners. I mean, there's probably prostitutes there. There's crooked business people there. There's just all kinds of, you know, malcontents and, and, and bad people in the eyes of the religious world there. And Jesus is being criticized because he went to a party at Matthew's house with these people. Or should I say with those people? Right? And then in chapter 11, or sorry, chapter 12... Uh, they're walking through a field on the Sabbath and the disciples are breaking off some pods, some grains, and they're having, uh, having a snack as they pass through. And, and so the religious crowd criticizes Jesus' disciples for, for working on the Sabbath. And so Jesus uh, corrects them. And again, he quotes uh, Hosea. And this is what he says in Matthew 9, 13. Both times he said, Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy not offer sacrifices. For I have come not to call those, to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. So the Pharisees here are calling out the unrighteousness, you know, those people. He's, he's calling, and they're calling out even the other followers of Christ because they're not following what in the Pharisees' minds is the right way to interpret the law. In other words, they're not living up to their traditions. And so Jesus is reminding them that the Old Testament prophet of Hosea is saying, look, it's more important that you show mercy. And what is necessary for mercy? Love. It is more important that you show mercy than it is that you get all your works right, that you offer sacrifices, that you do more for me. In other words, it is not the labor that matters, it's the heart behind it. Are we tracking this morning? And so this is the kind of thing that Jesus is addressing with the church at Ephesus. He says, he says I want you to focus on walking in love. Don't neglect all the good works. Don't neglect standing up for righteousness. Don't neglect calling out false apostles. But let the heart of it all be love. The beginning and the end of everything we are as followers of Christ is love. 
So, what Jesus tells the church at Ephesus here is, to get where they're going, they have to go back to where they started. To get where we're going, we must go back to where we started. In verse 5, he says, Consider how you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, the word repent literally means to change one's mind. And so we must change the way we're thinking. And so we must consciously choose to focus on what matters most. You know what's amazing to me is how we Americans, and this is true around the world, I'm sure, and specifically Christians, we get distracted by whatever the hot topic is of the day. We can, we, you know, the big problem that's in the news. Or maybe the latest theological fad. You know, back in the 1990s, you know, it was, it was um, in the, during the Toronto Blessing, they were chasing after miraculous signs like gold dust appearing or feathers falling from the ceiling. And I don't know if some of it was legitimate or some of it wasn't. I don't, I don't know. You know, the, the point is we as Christians are not supposed to be following signs. Signs are supposed to follow us. And so I wouldn't drive across the country to see a manifestation like that. Why? Because Jesus didn't tell us to. He said, you should be busy making disciples. That's what matters. But what about this thing going on in the political realm? We're called to make disciples. Well, what about the latest preacher that's on TV? We're called to make disciples. You understand? We can react to everything that's happening in the world, or we can do what Jesus has called us to do. We must maintain what is most important. Love God and love people. That is what Matters. Those are the things that we do at first, and that's what we must do now. As a church, we must never let it become about the buildings or the numbers or the dollars. Amen. It's about worshiping King Jesus and loving people that he sends our way. That's what it's about. Now, most of us don't wake up one day and decide to forsake our first love. It, it, it's a gradual thing. It's a drift. Little by little, we get off track. It's like the ship sailing across the ocean. Before we had all the navigational equipment that we have today, they, the sailors would use the North Star. Why? Because the North Star remained constant in the sky. Because of where it was positioned in relation to the rotation of the earth, it never appeared to move. And so if they, if they started to get off track, get off course, all they had to do was look up at the North Star and, and they could realign themselves with the path that they were supposed to be on. And in the same way, the love of God is our North Star. The love of God keeps us on course. So how do we know if we're off course? Well, we could ask ourselves this. Are we focused on Jesus himself or on our religious obligation? In other words, are we focused on having church or encountering Jesus? It's a subtle difference, isn't it? What about in relation to others? Do we see the person or do we see the sin? Say, well, I, I love all people. I mean, God tells me I got to love everybody or I don't get to go to heaven, right? I mean, that's a bit of a problem there when we say it like that, isn't it? You say, well, I love everybody, really? 
What if they sat beside you at church? Can we, can we love them then? When, they, when, when, when one of those people sits beside us, do we show them the love or do we scoot away from them? Do we see the person or the sin? Or let's broaden it a little bit more. Do we see a local church or do we see the kingdom of God? See, we're not about building up, the new, building up new life assembly. We're about building the kingdom of God. We're about seeing the kingdom of God advance. And this, you know, th- this means that we are partners with other churches. We're on the same team. We're not in competition. We try very carefully not to steal sheep from other churches. Why? Because they're not ours. If someone gets saved here, knows Christ here, and they end up at First Baptist, God bless First Baptist. We're glad we could help. You know? We're on the same team. It's about the kingdom of God. And so we can check to see what's motivating us. Is it God's love or is it something else? Everything that defines us as Christ followers begins and ends with love. So he goes on in verse 5 to say, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now what's he talking about? This is not a salvation issue per se. He's talking to a church as a group here, okay? So he's not talking about they'll lose their salvation. He's saying they will lose their place. They will not have any influence. If they're not in alignment with what the kingdom of God is doing, then they will not, then God will not use them, not be able to use them to advance his kingdom. They won't have any influence. They won't accomplish what they're called to do. They won't be any part of they won't have any part of its kingdom purpose. And so what's he saying? He says, you, if, if love is not what's motivating you, love for Jesus and love for one another, he says, you'll have no influence. You'll have no part in what God is wanting to do. As hardworking as they were, it was love that enables them to be used by God. John 13, 35, Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Not our good deeds, not the moral stands we take, but by the love we have for one another. But where does that love come from? It's by recognizing first how much God loved us. Recognizing how much God gave by giving us His Son. We just celebrated Christmas. We just celebrated the gift of God. He gave His Son for us. And with that love, we can love others. C.S. Lewis said, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because He loves us. When we understand that any righteousness we have is a result of God's love and mercy for us, it transforms how we see the world around us. Here's the the mind-blowing thing that we sometimes struggle with. That person that you are most angry at, that person you despise the most, that person who has hurt you more than anybody else, Jesus loves them 
as much as he loves you. And that's hard for us to accept, isn't it? It's like when uh, the angel shows up in Joshua and says, are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither. He said, as captain of the Lord's army, I've now come. He said, I'm, I'm not on your side. The question is, are you on my side? I want to be on God's side, don't you? In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so everything else hinges on these two things. If we want to get there, we must go back to where we started. So let me ask you this morning, where do you need to go back to in order to go forward in your life? As you, as you come up to look at the North Star, where, what direction are you headed this morning? What do you need to turn back to? What love that you had at first do you need to run back to? Is there someone in your life, as we end 2018, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Is there someone in your life that you need to release from an offense? And you say, well, you don't, you don't know what they did to hurt me, and that's not the issue. The issue is that we remain in bondage and we remain broken until we are able to release them. When we forgive, we are set free. So maybe there's someone in your life today that you need to forgive. Or maybe, just maybe, life, and I know this has been true in my life, life has gotten so crazy, so hectic, so busy, and pulled you in so many different directions that you find that you're serving Jesus out of religious obligation rather than walking in that intimate relationship with Him. And listen, there's no condemnation in that. There's no, there's no saying, look what a wretched worm you are. There's simply an invitation to say, would you come back to that place of loving your first love first? It's sort of a recalibration. I was having a little issue with my iPad last night, and so, I, and I was trying to figure out what to do with it, and I finally remembered the advice I give every person that comes to me for tech support. Did you turn it off and turn it back on again? <laughs> and when you reboot something, when you recalibrate it it, it, it gets rid of all that stuff that's keeping it from functioning correctly. This is a good Sunday for us to reboot. Amen. Amen. So, as the worship team comes, I just want to ask you, what needs rebooting in your life? What do you need to go back to in order to go forward? Maybe you just simply need to commit yourself, recommit yourself to loving Christ simply. To loving Him like you did when you first came to know Him. To set aside all of the business for just a moment and say, Lord, 
You're my North Star. Where would you have me to go? Can we stand together? Lord, today we seek to hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. And your word tells us in Revelation 2 that if we are victorious, you will give us the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. That there is something far better for us if we will return to the beginning and seek to love you and love one another. And so, Father, I'm asking you now to give us the grace to reboot. Give us the grace to return. Give us the grace to let go of that which has us bound today, to forgive those who have wronged us, to retrain our focus upon you, Lord, and to focus upon what matters most, showing your love to our community. Holy Spirit, we invite you now just to have your way. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Is there anyone here today that you would say that I need a reboot in my life? First of all, let me just ask you this. Is there someone say I'm far from God? I need to make things right with the Lord today. Would you lift your hand?